Hello and welcome to Room Escape Divas, your podcast on everything escape rooms. Today we are super excited because <laughs> we have Rita Orlov of Post Curious and we are going to talk about puzzle design and game design for take home escape room tabletop fun time board game stuff. Is that the whole title? <laughs> This is why we should write it down and not have me do an intro just, you know, off the top of my head. My name is Errol. I'm Manda. Woo! We didn't do our Look, I even messed that up. Yeah. You know, with the woo after somewhere else. Good grief. This, the, the reason is, is because the bunny woke me up. What? What, this morning? No, last... I don't know what it is. The bunny was having a crazy time and woke me up like in the middle of the night, like at 2, 3. And then for some reason, I woke up early this morning and then I couldn't fall asleep because I started thinking about actually puzzle design of uh, of another project that I still don't know if it's public to say. So we won't say anything other than what I just mentioned right now. But then oh, I woke up at 6.30 and so I don't know. I didn't get very much sleep. So what? you are just super crazy right no, now. No, like, not super crazy. Or super forgetful. Yeah, I'm very forgetful. That's why I shouldn't be leading any type of podcast right now. <laughs> it should be all man pants. Anyway, I'm sorry. We do have Rita. <laughs> and we are trying something completely different today because we've turned on the video camera. And oh, yeah. so now we can all see each other. Well, you can't because you're listening in, dear listeners. But Rita and I can see each other. We can't see man pans because no. what we do is that we sit at opposite end of the table so that the bleed from our mics don't bleed into each other. And if anybody wants to know, because Rita thought we were being really bad and just, you know, not staying six True. feet apart yeah. from each other. <laughs> we should we're all mention in the same this house, constantly but, now, yeah. But Man Trans is my tenant. There. Yeah. So she just lives in the basement. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I crawl out from time to time. From time and, to time. Yeah. So. Yeah. That makes podcast easier. So because we can still be here and and have, uh, except we share the internet. So sometimes if the internet goes squirrely. Then, then it, then if I'm on, if we're doing like some sort of seminar, I'm always worried that I might mess up the uh, the internet while Man Pants is presenting. I got distracted, didn't I? I was like, "You want to take a breath at all?" You, uh... Hello, Rita, and welcome. Hello, thank you for Hello. having me on. Oh, I'm so happy that we have you on. I'm. I'm I we were discussing before this podcast, like. I thought we've been trying to get you on like since the beginning of this podcast, which has been like we've been on for like what five years. So yeah, you know, the second episode we should ask Rita to get on. No, no, that's <laughs> and I was totally. like, you just never asked me. <laughs> I would have said yes. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, I know that you know Man Pans has been singing your praises for the last twenty three years. So <laughs> that's why I'm just shocked. He was being awfully <laughs> uh, liberal with his use of timelines. Yeah, it's, I He's got a Jerry. Sleep, so I, I think you're really aging anyway. both of us here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm older, so I just forget. How, well, yeah, everybody's young. That's just it. Anyway, welcome, Rita. It's it's great to have you on. I you for anybody that doesn't know who Rita is, she has done a number of mail order take home puzzle type games that she can probably explain a lot better. So, because I'll just string a you bunch keep, of adjectives uh, Yeah, I was going to say, you're just going to keep adding yeah. adjectives on uh, top. And so they'll yeah. be all wrong. And pretty soon, Rita will say, no, I don't do that at all. So we should have <laughs> you uh, maybe give a little intro about yourself. Sure. 
Um, so I'm the creator of a company called Post Curious, and I make narrative tabletop puzzle games, which I like to describe as a board game meets escape room meets interactive fiction uh, type of concoction. And <laughs> so far, there's only been one game that's been published. It's called The Tale of Ord. And there were 500 copies made. Manda played one of them. And now they are gone. And since then, I've been working on a new game called The Emerald Flame, which is going to be on Kickstarter on May 27th. Congratulations. It's really fun because I've been following on Twitter and also on Slack and even a couple of your posts in the Escape Room Enthusiast group because the Kickstarter is coming soon. And so there's so many things we can talk about, whether we can talk about Kickstarters, we can talk about puzzle designs, we can talk about... How much of a pain kickstarting things is, you know, <laughs> different things like that. But you know, I actually I want to know because you know because of man pants, I've just known of you for so long. Twenty three years, <laughs> in fact. Yeah, years, decades. Yeah. <laughs> just like I guess you know, like how you got started in designing games. Uh yeah, well I ended up working in the first escape room that opened in New York, which was the second one that opened, I think, in North America. So it was the very, very beginning of escape rooms. Um, And I started out as a junior clue master. (laughs) Uh, Sounds adorable. (laughs) And ended up up as the manager and, like, did a bunch of design on some of the rooms. And after I left, I was like, well, I really like designing puzzles i've liked puzzles my whole life but it never well it's weird it never occurred to me to like start designing them uh this is a total tangent but when i was at my grandparents house uh last year i found this box of things that they kept from when i was little and it was full of it had a bunch of like scavenger hunts and like crossword puzzles and stuff that i made for my aunt to solve and I had zero memory of any of this happening, but it was kind of delightful to find all of it. And I was like, oh, oh. I was meant to do this all along. <laughs> um, That's awesome. But anyway. so, do you know how old you were? Did you say when you, do you know what age you were at the time? Um, it was probably like eight to 12. Oh, around there. wow. Yeah. Well, that's kind of fun. That is super fun. A lot of, a lot of like Pokemon and. Tweety drawings <laughs> along with those. <laughs> um, yeah, so, but when I left the escape room, I really wanted to continue doing something along those lines, but I wasn't going to go open my own escape room. So I decided to start making a tabletop game. Nice. Yeah. And and then what made you, I, and I take it, I don't even know how Post Curious started because, you know, you made, you decided 500 games. Was it kickstarted? Did you just make 500 and hope they'd sell? Or <laughs> how did that work? Uh, yeah, so I was going to kickstart it and everybody then was like, Kickstarter is like another full-time job. And I was like, well, mm. I have a full-time job and then my other full-time job is working on this game. So I don't really think I could do a third one. And I had, like, just enough money to be able to make 500 copies. So I kind of took a really big gamble with it. Um, I did, like, open some pre-orders before I actually started shipping them out. So that helped a little bit. But, yeah, I pretty much 
just decided to go for it. And I figured, well, 500 isn't that much. Like, there are probably 500 people out there in the world who will want to play this game. Um, so <laughs> luckily, that turned out to be true. <laughs> Yay! Nice. You know, there, probably even, there isn't probably even 500 people that listen to this podcast. So we don't know how many people. So... Yeah, well, it's great that you're able to, like, how soon did it sell out? Because I remember Manpans was worried because you were down to, like, the last oh, three or something it like was, that. It was because, like, you had the refresh packs, which I also bought. Yeah. Uh, and I bought the last one. I remember <laughs> I remember getting that email from you saying, like, just in time. <laughs> I was like, oh. Uh, yeah, well, they took a while to sell out. There was, like, you know, it was kind of a big... Uh, front load and then it slowed down for a while and then once I got down to like a hundred copies left those went pretty quickly because uh, you know I guess just scarcity kind of gets people uh, <laughs> I and the refill packs went in like the refill packs went in like half an hour but that's because I only had like 30 of them because they were it was really just like I had to wait until I finished all making all the games and then just see what components I had left and how many refill packs I could make out of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't have I didn't have enough extras of all the destructible things to make more than that. So I was like, well, that's better than zero. And I, I knew people wanted <laughs> refill packs, so I was trying to get as many out to them as I could, but it, it just wasn't that many. I I think I was one of the ones who asked for a refill pack before they were available. Because uh, and I was really cruel to my friends because I was telling them not to do any writing on any of the pieces of paper <laughs> so that I could use them again. But then some elements, you know, you just can't, you just couldn't avoid it, right? You just like you either had to like, you know, manipulate some like a piece of paper in such a way that you just everyone would know the answer after that. So yeah, I mean, I think I think for all of all of the things that do get manipulated. You can't. You don't really know the answer, even if you get the folded piece of paper. Like, you still kind of have to figure out what to do. So I don't think it really gives away the puzzle, but it definitely does change the experience for the person, yeah. the person playing it for the second time. Yeah, definitely. And so now you have a brand new Kickstarter, and it is called. The Eternal Flame. Emerald, Emerald, <laughs> Emerald, Emerald Flame. Flame. <laughs> yeah, I, don't well, I don't. I don't remember e what F. Eternal Flame is, is from. That's the thing. <laughs> Can you tell us more about the Emerald Flame? Yeah. Um, so it's a similar style to the Tale of Ward. Uh, so, which I guess I didn't really actually explain how it works. Uh, but I'll, I'll just explain for the Emerald Flame then. So. Like in the board game, you get a box, and inside of it are three packages, which you're receiving from a character in the game, um, and they're coming from a historical society which wants you to help them find the work of um, a legendary alchemist that was trying to put together a special potion, and so they want your help to put together that potion. And the envelopes come with a bunch of different documents and some objects. So, you know, you take it from there and figure out what they mean, solve the puzzles. And yeah, you guys know the drill. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And so did you learn or anything from your previous? Because I take it the Tales of Ord was like one of your first 
oh, you told us it was your first one that you were able to send out to people. And so what have you learned uh, from that that you've tried to, you know, what, what learnings did you take from that that you've brought to the Emerald <laughs> Flame? I remember the right name. I <laughs> um, remember some grammar, too. I think I think the biggest tech takeaway was, um, you know, I, I got a decent amount of feedback from people who were playing it, like, you know, after doing my play tests, which, you know, it's very different when strangers are actually playing your game and have uh, feedback. Mm-hmm. And so some of the things that, you know, I think there were certain frustrations with some puzzles and like, sometimes it felt too long because the chapters like had a lot of content uh, so those were things that I wanted to change uh, for the new game because I wanted to make it uh, more accessible to a broader audience. So I made the chapters a little bit shorter, and the puzzles are also of a lower difficulty. Not, I mean, they're still they're still like challenging puzzles. They're not easy, but the I think the ones in Tale of Ward were definitely more challenging. And probably, you know, there there are a few of them that probably could have used a little bit of extra signposting. And I think um, that's, I think it's a much smoother experience in the Emerald Flame. Nice. And I also know that you're tweeting and blogging about design as you design this game. Are, are you worried about giving out too many spoilers when you're doing that? Because I see you flashing pictures up all the time and they look really nice. Uh, not really. I mean, as far as pictures, like, people like seeing pictures, and they want to see what they're going to be getting. So I can't, it's not like I could keep it a mystery and be like, back this Kickstarter for a box of mysterious objects, which I will not show you, because (laughs) then definitely nobody would give me their money. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I've spent a lot of time doing the artwork for this game. So I, I like to be able to show that off. Um, but, but the blogs are really talking about the back end of it. So like what sort of things I've been working on for prototyping and just different ways of approaching, um, designing puzzles and, and like user interaction. And I get people asking questions like, how do you decide how difficult to make things or like what sort of like how to deal with playtesting uh, puzzle games and things like that. So that's that's mostly the kind of stuff I've been writing about, and those are not really spoilers. Um, I like you know I, I like to think of it as talking to hopefully other people that are designing games and you know off the blog having those kinds of conversations and how we can all improve our design skills in that way. Oh, nice. So do you get a lot of, you know, that's kind of funny. I wonder, I mean, there probably is out there a gathering of puzzle designers. What do you call that? Like, you know, there's like a murder of crows and stuff. And is there like a, an enigma of design? An enigma of designers. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's pretty brilliant. <laughs> and... <laughs> so do you get a lot of do you get a lot of design? I mean, it's interesting because you know you'd think I'd know a lot of puzzle designers, and I think I do 
But then again, at the same time, or maybe I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Your memory seems to be pretty... I, <laughs> I feel like you, you know. know a good number of puzzle designers. <laughs> I do. But I'm trying to think, well, where do they gather? And then I think, wait, some of them gather in the Slack. They do. So. There's like a whole puzzle design channel and a yeah. puzzle testing channel. Yeah. And but there must be like another place where these people go and design. I mean, I mean there, are, there are definitely a lot of people who are not in that Slack. Um... Oh, yeah. Another person and I actually started like a, a Facebook group for people who design specifically like tabletop puzzle games. Um, so there's a few of us lurking in there. But uh, <laughs> I, I usually if I find a new game, like if the if the person is accessible, I often will reach out to them and just be like, hey, I also do this. I see that you are doing this. And like just let's share our pain <laughs> yeah i mean in a way <laughs> we definitely like you know it's it's nice to be able to have uh sort of comrades and share like our experiences and successes and pitfalls and you know give advice and receive advice because we're all trying to do the same thing and you know i i want other people to also be making good games and you know not just look at each other as competition but try to support each other and you know just improve that things that i'm doing and for you know hopefully other people will get something out of it too true because it's not like you can spit them out like like one a month or anything it takes a long time to make these things. So how, how long? Well, it's funny that you say on? that because people do. <laughs> there's yeah. there's a lot of monthly <laughs> there's a lot of monthly boxes. There are there are, but uh, I think sometimes they pull in a team to help out though. Like when you're doing it all on your own. How long did Tales of Ord take you to do? Two years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and then Eternal Fl- Emerald Flame. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Um, Emerald Flame <laughs> took a little bit under two years, so yeah, about the same. I mean, it's, but I also have a full time job, so I'm sure mm. both of them would have taken less time if I didn't. Um, and also, for a good portion of the time that I was working on the Emerald Flame, I was also fulfilling um, Tale of Ward. So there was like still many hours of just assembling and packaging that infringed on my time that I could have been designing and uh, that was actually why I ended up deciding to not um, make the Emerald Flame myself because I was like I can't spend 500 hours doing this I just I have so many more games in my head that I need to bring out <laughs> and I can't do that if I'm assembling packages so so have you ever been tempted to make some online games as well or do you like that tactile aspect of having it a home game um i really like the tactile aspect and uh tale of war does have some some online elements to it but i mean i'm i'm okay with technology stuff but i'm not really like i don't know how to code and i'm not like the most uh adept at it so i feel like there are plenty of people out there that are making great digital games and my i think my forte is in making physical objects so that's something that i probably want to stick to at least for the foreseeable future no i was talking where was i whom was i talking to 
Maybe it was Kellyanne. Anyway, I was talking to somebody, and it was interesting because what, <laughs> what are you laughing at, man pants? Because we were discussing the fact about that digital aspect, and there are far more digital games out there, obviously, video game industry, than there, there are the take-home. And I know in the puzzle hunt world and the community, finding a good illustrator and a good artist is something that puzzle designers crave. Yes. Because they want it to look better than just made in MS Paint, right? So, <laughs> Like if I made your game. Yeah, so, Don't make me make your game. <laughs> <laughs> so so finding finding quality art and, and design is 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 difficult to do. So if you're able to excel in that, then obviously. And the Emerald Flame does has a lot of pretty art to it, as you've shown in your blogs and on your Twitter and and other medium. You can see all that there. Did you were you did you hire a lot of artists or what what did you um what did you? Uh, did you hire anybody to illustrate? Um, I did all the illustrations in the game itself. I did. Um, I did hire an artist to do the cover illustration for the box because I had a very particular idea of what I wanted, and I I found this artist whose work is really beautiful, um, and I I knew that she would be able to communicate it better. So, so I decided not to do the box artwork myself, but all the all the stuff inside the game uh, was done by me. Nice. And how long does it take you to create one of the art pieces that you have? Um, it's it's hard to say. They really vary depending on the piece. Um, most of them are kind of like let's say there's a puzzle that has like twenty flowers in it. So I drew each of those separately on a separate piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So I I mean I don't really know. I never timed myself, but I think yeah. <laughs> somewhere between a half hour to an hour is my guess. <laughs> I think I I think I got faster at it as as it went along. Because there's a lot of hand-drawn illustration in your game. So I can imagine that it might take a long time. And then do you color that afterwards in digitally or do you also color it uh by hand. Uh, well. By hand. It's actually watercolor and ink pen. So oh. there's oh, only, cool. there's three pieces of paper in the game which are printed, like typed. Um, everything else is either drawn or written out by hand. Yeah. Oh, wait. And then you just write it out for every single game? No. So, like, <laughs> oh, okay, good. Oh, phew. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? That would, I do that remember would be seeing... hellish. <laughs> I do remember seeing the the journal in Tales of Ward and seeing that it was that, that it was handwritten, and I was very like, "Oh, that looks like a very tedious job <laughs> to handwrite all of that." Yeah, I mean, but you only have to do it once. So, well, yeah. I mean, really more than once, but you have to only do it once where it looks really good. So, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I like that better than using like a handwriting font because it just it just feels more real. And I think like oh, definitely. when yeah. you, oh, yeah. even when you just scan it and print it out, like it definitely, like even printed, when you look at it, you have to look at it for a minute to like figure out if it really is printed or written, which, which I really like. You're mentioning like printing and everything and, and duplicating. One thing I recall from my copy of Tables of Ford is that the map that I had that came with it had a bunch of stuff 
uh, written on it. Um, and it, it was all like pre-printed and everything, but there were two numbers on it that had like handwritten changes in it. Uh, like that was, that was clearly added after with a pen. And I think there was a note in there that said like, that it was basically an errata. So like, were there many instances and how frustrating was it to have everything printed and realize there was a mistake on one of the, on one of the puzzles that you had to correct? Uh, it was really frustrating. Thankfully it was just <laughs> that one item. Um, yeah, and that's good. yeah, it was just one number that I had to correct because I think it said like, it just said like 17 instead of 18 or something like that. And, yeah. and I didn't realize until the first, um, I think it was really like the, the, the file that was saved right before the final file. And I sent the wrong file. Um, so one of the first people who played was like, this seems like a mistake. And I was like, Oh my God, you're right. This is a mistake. And then I went through the like rest of the 450 maps that I had and corrected that number. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that must have been frustrating yeah. well I, I mean there's so much in the tale of war that was incredibly tedious and it was it was one of those things where i was like i know this is a terrible idea to do this all myself and i'm gonna hate it after i'm halfway through because it's just too much but this is how it needs to be and i'm gonna do it anyway <laughs> Speaking of like speaking of Tales of War again, so like you mentioned that you you know you worked at an escape room beforehand, and you're used to seeing puzzles from there. That you've always liked puzzles, but did you? Um, what kind of things did you learn about how to design puzzles for a tabletop game versus how the puzzles you were used to seeing in escape rooms? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, they definitely come with their own set of constraints because you can't. Um, you know, you can't have, like, moving Egyptian blocks open a door or whatever. Um, so you really have to figure out, like, what kind of objects can you make that are going to be interesting and tactile but are still small enough to fit in a box and hold in your hand um, and not be, like, impossibly complicated to produce. And the other thing is that without having the time limit and, you know, being in a physical room you do have the opportunity to make some puzzles that are more layered and more complicated and potentially take more time or have like online research elements to it. So, so those were things that I definitely took advantage of in, in Tale of Ward because I did want to make it a pretty challenging game. So it, it wouldn't have been able to be what it was if it was an in-person game. One challenge that I had when I was doing... Uh, when I fir when I first did Errol's puzzle hunts and when I was doing Tales of Ward and and I saw that challenge reflected in my friends was uh, seeing that the need for outside knowledge and I remember the first time I typed something into a Google search engine with Tales of Ward and, and an answer popped up and we realized it was right uh, that it was like oh okay this is this isn't all just self-contained within here we have to go we have to actually expand and and search for things so that was that was kind of exciting yeah I really liked using um, real world elements for Tales of Ward and I mean, as you know, uh, so it included a bunch of runestones that exist out in the world. And, you know, I wanted to create that moment of, like, you're solving a puzzle and then you have to 
look it up to see if it's actually the real thing. And then you're like, wait, this is a stone that exists in Sweden and it's like sitting in this place and it's real. But for Emerald Flame, it's actually a bit different because there isn't that online research element to it. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a couple links that you have to visit in the game, but all the information is pretty much given to you in the place that you go to. Because uh, I had the inclination to keep it more in the box and on the table, if that makes sense. Because I, yeah. sort of, I sort of realized as I was playing through other games that I didn't really want to go do a bunch of <laughs> online research. Like, I, I, I don't mind visiting websites and stuff like that, but, it, but there, are some, there are some games that are so expansive, which is really impressive and really cool. But if I'm sitting down for a couple hours, I don't necessarily want to go down, like, a really deep rabbit hole of, of research where, like, you don't know if this really even has anything to do with what you're looking for. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to simplify it a little bit and keep it keep it more on the table as i said this is this is going to be off topic uh we don't have to have it in the podcast but if you're wondering i don't know if you heard the banging but there was all sorts of banging and the reason there is banging is because they bought a coconut and they were trying to get into the coconut. Oh, nice. <laughs> so just like, bang bang it's always much it's harder like than you think <laughs> If we can hear it in the in the background, we'll uh, we'll include the explanation. <laughs> like, there's a reason why people use machetes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And then also, and that ha what happens around here at seven thirty is that my neighborhood goes outside and bangs pots and pans to support frontline workers and anybody helping out with that. So, oh. so it's it's really hard for me to have any type of seminar or podcasts in around that time. Because, so I don't know if you heard all the clanging and banging. Oh, I'm hoping not. No, though. I didn't. <laughs> oh, good. Huzzah! When you said seven thirty for a moment, I thought you said seven thirty in the morning, and I was like, "That's very wholesome." But I would be so mad if I had to wake up to that. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no. The no. sound also off topic. The sound that I have to wake up to, especially the mostly in the spring and summer months is the neighbor next door has like a sports car or something that they drive in the spring or summer and it's right next to my window and it revs up at 6 a.m. every day. It's like... Oh. oh, I thought it was just me sneezing, you know, <laughs> during spring and my allergies. You, you, know that. you sneeze so loudly that she wakes up in the basement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that's cool though. So like lessons learned from Tales of Ward that you then apply to to emerald flame now do you did before tale of ord did you find did you play a lot of tabletop puzzle games or after tale of ord did you find yourself playing more of them well so i mean i started working on tale of ord in geez 2016 maybe like the very end of 2016 um and there weren't really that many uh tabletop puzzle games out at the time so i i think at the time i'd played i'd played like two games and also did uh one of the mysterious package company uh packages mm -hmm. which which didn't have any puzzles in it but it was you know it has like a similar feel um so that was that was all that i did when i started and since then you know they've been popping up quite a lot more so i usually try to play as many of them as I can just because I mean 
A, they're fun to play, but also I want to see what other people are doing. Um, so I've definitely played a lot since then. I have not been keeping track of the numbers, but as as they've been coming out, um, I usually try them out. Oh, nice! So you've like played them all. Oh man, not all. <laughs> well, we could you know we could have had you on if we wanted to do a review of all the tabletop. Although I guess some people might find that like conflict of interest. Bias that you may. <laughs> I mean, I've posted like recommendations of other tabletop yeah. games so it's i mean there was one yeah. you posted and it made me super sad because the you posted it you put a description on there it looked so cool and right up my alley and then i went to the website and i i know you mentioned it in your post too it was like good thing i speak dutch or something like that and i <laughs> went and it was all in dutch and i was like oh yeah well that was the thing i mean it was kind of uh that list was a bit tricky because only like four out of the six things were really available for people. Um, and that Dutch game, which is done by a company called Puzzle Post, is probably my favorite um, of these types of games that I've played. And I'm really mad that it's only in Dutch because I wanted to recommend it to everybody as soon as I played it. But I was like, nobody will understand. And I don't speak <laughs> a lot of Dutch, but I... I I have like enough that I was able to at least understand like like I know what words look like so if I'm getting an answer and it sounds like gibberish or it sounds like a Dutch word I will know the difference between the two but <laughs> you know what I mean so if like if you if you didn't speak it at all then even just extracting answers would be like pretty impossible um but it was a very cool game and um that person actually has yeah, it's a series of three. Um, I haven't played the third one yet. It's been waiting for me in my closet. And I've been trying to convince him to translate it to English. And maybe at some point, hopefully that will happen. <laughs> so what makes it one of your favorite games? It was just... Um, the story was really good. It combined really well with the puzzles. And the puzzles were... You know, they weren't cliche, they weren't too easy, they weren't impossibly difficult. And it was also full of surprises, which, like, it was really just, I didn't expect it because you, it's all in one box and you see everything at once, but then there were still, like, secrets hiding within those objects that you don't see right away. Um, so, yeah, I think the execution of it was just really well done overall. And I, you know, I mean, there are other games that are good in those ways, but I don't know if I have encountered another one that, like, checks all of those boxes. Good puzzles, good story, and still a way to surprise you while you play. That sounds glorious. Yeah. <laughs> So make it in, oh, you had to send him this podcast. <laughs> Just like put him to this part and then, uh, yeah, convince him. It's like, look, the demand's there. <laughs> I will play it. <laughs> I will buy a copy of your game if it's in English. So make one English copy. <laughs> Just one. <laughs> Just for Amanda. Just, <laughs> Just make me an English copy. <laughs> Oh man. So, um I was going to ask you too like uh in in designing the Emerald Flame. Is it in beta test now or are you actually beta testing it? Oh, it's been tested. It's um it is in the hands of reviewers right now. So, 
those and those oh, those good. will be up like during during the Kickstarter campaign. So I'm sure you'll see a bunch of those pop up soon. Um, I was beta testing it between like November and February. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's gone through. It's gone through a good number of tests. Um, it better than Tale of Ward because this game was a little bit shorter, so it was easier to 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 get through more tests of it. And I'm really glad that I finished testing when I did because then we had to all stay at home and I wouldn't have been able to test it with any more people. That's true. And in testing it, are you, are you able to expand your uh, your pool of beta testers? You mentioned that like uh, with Tales of War, it was interesting to have strangers finally play it and get different feedback. Um, so were, was the data, data, was the beta testing process a little bit different in this case? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, I did... I also have met a lot more people in the past two years, so there it was expanded a little bit in that way. And once I was, once I had a good number of in-person playtests, I made like a, you know, quote unquote final version and sent that to um, a couple pairs of people that I was not going to watch, just like have them do a blind playtest and give me feedback on that. And so those were the final couple of tests that I did, made some tweaks after that, and then it went out to reviewers. And you mentioned that uh, also, like, you didn't want to do Kickstarter for Tales of Ward. So what what made you change your mind for Emerald Flame? Um, partially necessity, because getting it manufactured overseas is just going to be, like, it would be prohibitively expensive. So I wouldn't be able to do it um, unless I had more support and more funding and you know there's also like minimum order quantities so i would need to figure out how many would i actually need to make um how many people would actually want a copy and i also wanted to expand um you know expand the audience a little bit because i feel like kickstarter just a lot more people will see it and not like relying on that for advertising but I think it will be more visible that way than if I just put it up on my website and was like, hey, I made a game. Um, but also, <laughs> um, but I also made a bunch of online puzzles that are going to go up during the Kickstarter. So I think that'll be a fun opportunity for people to play along um, and, you know, in- interact with like the story world a little bit. And hopefully I will get to interact with people as well and see what they think. Nice. So it sounds like you've planned a lot for the Kickstarter, which is great because a lot of people don't. <laughs> so uh, and and thinking and you know and, and when you first decided with Tales of Ward that you know you heard that Kickstarter was almost like having a, another job, and it's very true. So it's great to see that you are prepared for that, and you have a whole campaign that you plan on doing while it's running. That's that's amazing because you plan probably thirty thirty days you're going to run the campaign yeah. for. And I guess one of the the biggest problems, I mean, I don't know how much of a problem it is, but trying to send it internationally might be, has that proven to be difficult? Or I guess you'll find out how many international orders you're going to get. Um, I mean, the plan is because I, I know that it's tough. You, you mean like shipping wise? Yeah. Yeah. yeah international right. shipping is definitely tough. But uh, I, my plan is assuming I get like a decent number of orders across the ocean is to have a warehouse in the UK 
So all the UK and like Europe orders are going to be fulfilled from there and then have the US and Canada orders uh, fulfilled from the US. And that way, hopefully it's not going to be too cost prohibitive for for people to ship because I don't want to charge anybody $30 for shipping. (laughs) Yes, I know. So expensive shipping. Shipping is insane. I think we definitely take that for for granted here in the U.S. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Our shipping is horrible. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think (laughs) I I, I looked at something and, you know, it's like, oh, get this. It's like, all right, just add $35 for shipping. And you're like, oh, this thing is $10 that I'm paying for. I don't know. (laughs) So. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It's tough. And I mean, the real the real numbers are also like much higher than what usually people actually see so yeah it's it's challenging like everybody wants free shipping now which it's just it's all been ruined (laughs) by amazon (laughs) offering free shipping to everybody that now everybody expects it but like there's no such thing they just you know it's all hidden in 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 the cost and stuff so it's just a different world (laughs) yeah going to shift a little bit back over to uh, tabletop gaming. Yeah. Uh, it's something that I've really only just started getting into in the last year. Not so much tabletop gaming, but the tabletop puzzle game. Uh, Tales of Ward was was one of the ones I played. I'm playing another one right now. Uh, Which one? Uh, two by my... Um, so I'm doing the... Well, it's not so much tabletop. It was the Wish You Were Here, the, the postcard yeah. series. Mm-hmm. Um, which is... I'm really enjoying it. I love how many surprises those postcards have on them. Or how much you can just pack into a postcard for puzzles. And then the other one is the Deadbolt Mystery Society. Mm-hmm. I just I just got that one. And it's more of like an escape room-esque type thing in a box. Um, those are those are a monthly one, I think. Right. Those are yeah. I bought I I bought you can buy like individually the previous ones individually. Mm-hmm. So I did that because I was like I don't know subscription boxes. I I'm still not someone who can actually like make that commitment. Uh, it's like I don't know. Uh, can I just buy one and then I'll see? Yeah, but, yeah. I feel you on that. Yeah. I usually end up getting one and like. If I like it enough, I'll get a second one. Um, but I never, I haven't really gone through like an entire subscription series. I'm not trying to be rude. I was just on my phone and we have video up, as I said. So Rita's probably looking at me, looking at my no. phone. Thinking, <laughs> oh. I'm ignoring everything. It's like, no, okay, no, I really no, wasn't, I though. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, Enigma Emporium is the one that did Wish You Were Here. Yes. And I'm thinking to myself, oh. What was the name? See, oh, I, I could have said that. Oh, sorry, I forgot to mention. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention I know the all name the of the company. <laughs> I know, I know, and I should because I've asked all of you to provide a puzzle for the Cryptex hunt of 2019. Yes, no, that's what I was. So yeah. I, you know, I'm thinking to myself, ah, oh, crumbs. What is the name? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm doing that, and it's it's interesting. They seem to be on the rise, especially now with escape rooms like trying to pivot a bit and and get some income that is not um that is not from their brick and mortar escape uh so i was wondering like do you have any 
tips for anybody who's trying to start their own out there because it's not the same as an escape room as we reiterated before and um and it certainly can't be made quickly although people seem to want to do that uh but yeah like do you have any from your own history do you have any insights into what people should be doing if they're going to start one yeah i mean well that's that's like the kind of things i write about on my blog but uh hey it's i mean it's kind of hard to know where to start i i mean some people do make these very quickly and honestly i don't know how because i just don't work that quickly um but i think it's like worthwhile to put in the time and the effort and think about like what can you make that is going to make your box different but i guess if i had to give like a few specific tips the biggest ones would be have a hint system which has (laughs) incremental hints and solutions so like don't allow anyone to get stuck forever um and don't include physical objects that do nothing in the box. That's like a big pet peeve of mine. Um, <laughs> I mean, I get it. Like, there's the magic. It, it, it can be nice, but I don't know. It's just you're only gonna play it once, and if it, I, I want it to play a function in a puzzle because otherwise, it's just gonna end up in the trash, and that's sad because. It's it's also wasteful. Yeah, I mean, if it was extremely gorgeous enough that you'd want to hang it on your wall, then maybe, right? Yeah, then maybe. It was a huge stone obelisk that would just sit in your living room. Obelisk. Or yeah, I mean, I had one of those big artifacts, and I was like, I have nowhere to put this in my tiny New York apartment. Um, So yeah, it just had nowhere to go. But, I mean, if you can include a beautiful thing that you want to hang on the wall, that's awesome. But I would still recommend that that beautiful thing be part of the game because it's just more fun that way. And there is something about, there is something about like, having the tactile physical objects there that is exciting. Like, getting mail and opening it up and seeing a bunch of stuff inside that is potentially going to do something or reveal a secret is is really cool. Uh, I I like them a lot and shockingly so I think that <laughs> Well, the thing is in a way that I did, I didn't I don't connect as much with escape uh take like sorry, escape rooms in a box. Like pure escape rooms in a box for some reason these tabletop puzzle games seem to be grabbing me a bit more. Some of it I think is the narrative, a bit more of a heavier focus on that. Uh, where I feel like I have a mystery to solve. I don't know if you find that at all. Yeah, but I, I, I still feel like some of them are kind of light on the narrative, or or maybe light isn't the right word. I, I mean, I, li- I like when they have a good story, but I also, you know, it, it feels good to have, like, more realistic characters where they feel like they have actual thoughts and feelings and are not, like, a prop just... in a murder mystery you know like uh like like really hearing like the correspondence or the conversations between the characters and having them be showing personality um because i feel like a lot of times characters in a puzzle are just you know i think they they have a tendency to sometimes feel a little bit flat which i think is the case in like physical escape rooms also like there's not that many uh, physical yes. escape rooms, which have like really <laughs> developed 
uh, characters in them. Yeah, it's those little things, right? Like if you have letters between characters and stuff, that's a good opportunity to kind of flesh them out in these games. And it's tough because like you don't want to have too much reading material. So it's not that easy to convey like a, a deeper narrative when you're really limited in like how many words you can use. Um, but I think there's a middle ground between like only conveying like the basic puzzle information, which I think uh, some games do. And I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think everything has to have a super deep narrative. Just like oh, not no, no, not no. every game <laughs> needs to be that, and that's fine. Um, but it, but if you do want to do that, then I think like you need to convey more about the people and. Uh, the world that those people are in than you would be giving if you were just giving like the puzzle information, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know what? Writing narrative is hard. It's really definitely. hard. Sorry. <laughs> By the way, yeah. I might have I might have been I I definitely used the wrong word in complex. I uh, yeah, but yeah, writing narrative is super hard. It's like not <laughs> easy to write characters and story. It's and really not. And honestly I'm not like I'm not that good at it. If 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 it comes out good, then it's because I've labored over it uh, for so many hours that it like <laughs> finally sounds you know uh, cohesive. <laughs> I know, and then you have people complaining. It's like nobody really wants story, or nobody really wants good puzzle design. It's like, well, I don't know if they just don't want it; they just don't see it because it's rarely done. <laughs> this is back in the day, and this is me being cynical. So. <laughs> Cynical old man. Cynical old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like they, they might just not have seen it yet. That's all. That's all. Just got to give them the opportunity. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like the tabletop world is only going to grow in the next few years. Um, or at least it feels like, or maybe I just was completely unaware of everything that was out there. And uh, I'm only now learning of it. And... I don't know. Like, I'm not sure how the progression is. Well, I think it was pretty slow for a little while. And over the past year and a half, maybe it's like really exploded. I think, yeah, like there must have been like a new one or maybe even two every month or something in the past year that I've learned about. Um, And now that we're all in quarantine, I've already seen like five companies appear in the past month (laughs) and... Um, some of them are made by escape room uh, owners and some of them aren't and I'm sure many of them have been planned for a while and aren't necessarily a result of the quarantine but it's but it's obvious that the quarantine will only make more of them show up in the coming months <laughs> but I'm glad that they've like Definitely. gained popularity and it's nice to you know be seeing them as more widespread and and a lot more people getting into it Sorry. Sorry, I was going to talk about something. I then I forgot because I waited longer than five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> There's also a lot more variety, <laughs> I think, now because you have like the escape room in a box games and things like exit and unlock and things like that, and then you've got the subscription games and the mystery things, and there's it's really like a a pretty big um, spectrum at this point. So it's. It's it's interesting to see uh, what everyone's coming up with. 
And it's hard to keep up. It's really hard to keep yes. up. I have such a big pile of things that I haven't played yet. And my friend sent me a package uh, saying, this is for you in case you get bored. And I was like, <laughs> you are so sweet. I will never get bored. So I'll add this to my pile of things to play. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. I, I The same is happening with the online escape room. I, I have a few of them still waiting in my inbox that I have to do. There's like a million. Like every day yeah. there's like three more. And at some point I was like, I can't keep track of these. Is anybody making a list <laughs> so that we can see them? Because there's just Seriously. There, there are way lists, too many. So, I mean, not too yeah. many, just so that's... to keep track of. Yeah. No, no, there are there are many lists out there, actually. So that's why our last podcast was with Brett Keener, who has a list of lists. Oh, well, I guess I got to I guess I got to go talk to Brett. then. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Because there's there are a lot of there are a lot of offerings out there and it's hard to keep track of them. And, And as you said, more more come when it comes to the escape room online. I just see more and more popping up. It's like it's wild. Yeah. Definitely. So what else do you do other than like designing puzzles and playing puzzle games? What else do you do for fun, Rita? Um, well, aside from playing and making games, my favorite thing is probably bouldering, which I also cannot do oh, because cool. we're in quarantine. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's definitely like the thing that I miss most about the outside world. Um, and I guess bouldering is also basically just a physical puzzle so it's it's sort of still puzzling i'm just puzzling with my body um but yeah that's a good way of putting it yeah body puzzling (laughs) body puzzling (laughs) i think we can we can end now sure yeah so i guess if people want to find out more about you and your blog and your kickstarter is there one place they can they go? They can go to getpostcurious.com. Cool. Getpostcurious.com. And then they'll find all sorts of stuff. And your Kickstarter is starting May 27th. Oh, I got it right. Wow. <laughs> First detail <laughs> night of the night. <laughs> Well, very excited to try that out, and thank you for sharing um, your thoughts on design and and Kickstarter and that kind of thing. And can't wait to see what the Emerald Flame is like. That's yeah. going to be very. Thank exciting. you guys for having me on. This was so much fun. Thank Yay. you. Okay, man, pans, you can talk us out. Cool. I'll be good. Okay, Room Escape Divas is brought to you by Inverse Genius. You can go to inversegenius.com. That's not being good. I'm not To find anything. other fun podcasts. You're looking at me like I'm going to do something. That's why. You were making a face. I was making a face because yeah. you were like looking at me like I was going to do something. <laughs> I'm an innocent man. Look, Rita's watching and sees how innocent I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, other fun podcasts just like this one. You can also email us at roomescapedivas at gmail.com. And people do. Uh, and Good they do. Somebody's checking that We've email. We've been getting emails. It's great. Uh, if you can go to Facebook, click the like button on the Room Escape Divas Facebook page. Oh, and a quick announcement before this. Um, we are doing community oh. meetings uh, for, this, for the short term. Every Friday night, we are going to be having a Zoom meeting uh, with the community. So it's on our Facebook page, the, the event details. So you can go check that out. Uh, it's at 6.30 p.m., 
Eastern Standard Time. Or is that Eastern Daylight Time? EDT. Which one are we in right now? I never know. I don't know. It's it's Eastern. <laughs> it's an Eastern time zone. And uh, if you're using the twi- the Twitters, uh, use the hashtag R-E-Divas. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.